0: Hi, everybody. Today I'm talking with a very talented designer, developer, and entrepreneur, Pascal Pixel. He has been tinkering in this space from a very early age and has a slew of fantastic projects that he can assign his name to, including his current project, the uniquely named Horse Browser. We'll talk more about that as well. And we're also gonna dive into a bit on what makes design teams successful, something which Pascal has a lot of experience around. As a bonus, Pascal also happens to enjoy pixel art. All the more reason for to stick around and listen to the full interview. So Pascal, I've been following you for quite some time and I love the content you create and the apps you're building, as well as all the designs you've created over the years. And so I figured, let's just get you on a call and just chat with you on what makes you tick, what motivates you, why do you do the things that you do? So, you know, so before i always ask the basic question of how do you get started in tech? Oh God, I got
1: started in tech because I had no other choice. (laughs) I, oh, it's a long time. Like I, I used to be a big fan of Deviant Art. I don't know if you know that website.
0: Oh, absolutely, very, very well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I was I was bored one summer, and uh, somebody gave me Coral Draw on a on a DVD, I think, or CD-ROM, I guess it is. Yeah, CD-ROM. Yeah. So I was bored for the summer. I had no internet, so I was like, okay, let me try this. Um, and then I made, um, I made some illustrations and I found out what vector was. So that's my first time finding out like, wait, you can draw shapes with math. What? So I don't have to be Pascal pixel all the time, you know? Um, and that was, that was fun. Like I could upload stuff to deviant art, um, that I was just working on. And lo and behold, people actually like, liked what I was uploading. It was a lot of fun. Um, I got some awards from them. They call them de- daily devi- deviations. Sorry, not, uh, not native English. I, I've never pronounced the word deviation before. So it's like <laughs> the old Dutch coming in, but yeah, like, um, got some awards with that. That was fun. But the main thing was the vectors, like the idea that you could draw shapes with math was like completely new to me. And that set me on a path of becoming a terrible artist
0: (laughs) because I started
1: to (laughs) I started to code, um, which was, um, yeah, that's pretty much the end for your art career. I think it's it's so much more fun. Like I was always looking for something fun and new and really interesting that I wanted to do that never stopped being a challenge. And that's what coding is like. It never ends. So before that, it was something new every year, and suddenly it was this code, code, code. And the first things I started to do was code um, custom user interface themes for Windows XP because a lot of people were doing those at the time. Um, and again, like people loved it. I I got a daily deviation with it. Um, magazines wanted to add my icons and. Themes on CD-ROMs that came with their magazines. So all of a sudden, I was like, "Wow, okay." So, can you send me one of those magazines? I'm like, "Sure." So there I was, uh, 16 years old, and uh, I had magazines with my stuff in it, and it was just crazy. Like, the world outside is very boring as a teenager, and having like the internet was something that completely changed that. It was completely crazy. You could do anything you wanted to. And um, yeah, when I found web design, that was pretty much the end. Like I, I never got back to deviate art. I never started making illustrations again. And I'm just obsessed with user interfaces ever since. So yeah.
0: That's a, you know, there are worse hobbies to have, you know, in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> I think so. It's, it's never gets boring. Did you ever get into Flash? Cause you mentioned you like vector and you like coding, you know, and Flash was like, at that time, you know, in like late nineteen nineties, early two thousands, like the perfect tool for like kind of combining both. Were you ever in that world? I was I myself didn't do much flash, but one of the first
1: websites I made with someone else was um it was called May First Reboot. It was like a annual competition at the time. Yeah. I don't remember yep, yep, the brand yep. that did it. Yeah, we got we got the we got a price with the website we made where we had a um, it was very silly. Like it was the most flash thing you can do. First, you you commit the the biggest sin, right? The biggest sin. Um, you just turn on music without people asking. Yeah, <laughs> we had a whole music player in the, in this website. But the main thing was it was supposed to be like a portfolio template for displaying your stuff as a pho- photographer or designer. And what we'd done is we put a a click wheel in the bottom, like an iPod click wheel, because what is a better way to interact with a website when you have a mouse than to drag your mouse in little circles? <laughs> it made no sense, but everyone thought it was so cool. So yeah, that was the foray with Flash, but I I really started my own career as a coder with the fact that uh, Flash wasn't going to be on the iPhone. And... And I knew I just learned HTML five and like how to do animations with SVGs and paths. Right? Yeah. I I think in in like math now, like if I make an animation or three, like I think in three dimensions, I have like awareness of this pretty well. Apparently, I mean, according to my girlfriend, like she, I bump less into walls than she does. I I instead just fall over railings sometimes, but. But yeah, that was the main thing that I started making money with was like all these websites were suddenly like, Hey, my website doesn't work on, on the iPhone. And I was like, well, if i got news for you. I can, can make it look exactly the same and have all the cutesy animations. But, uh, obviously my partnership with the guy who made flash did not work out after that because he said the iPhone was going to die because it didn't support flash. And I said, I think Flash is going to die because it doesn't work on the iPhone. Yeah, we still talk sometimes. Like, he lives on the streets here somewhere. You know, I give him some money sometimes. He's
0: cool. Like, he's all right. (laughs) Do you you miss those days, though, where you could have an interface with a little click wheel and it has, like, you know, the crazy creativity side of it? Because, you know, you look at the web today, a lot of it is, very much almost templatized, even though it really is no template. It's always like a similar design. You know, the, right now the bento design is like all the rage, but you know, it's gonna be replaced with something else that every other website you visit goes to. Yeah. Whereas in the Flash era, everything was different. And it was almost like the perfect translation of whatever zany things were in like the creative minds of you know people who were in their late teens and so on was represented, it was almost like a like MySpace of like creative output for professional web developers. Yeah. It was a lot more fun because you could just do
1: the most insane stuff. Also, operating systems, like I said, I I made custom Windows XP themes. Um, The fact that you could customize it that far, right? And and I remember that slowly getting locked down. Like first, I also made like Mac OS dock icons, for example. Well, you know, we used Candy Bar by the Icon Factory to do that to replace the icons, and that's gone. Um, We could still theme like OS Tiger was 10 tiger you could still theme that but after that apple also started locking it down behind system protection so over time i just saw like the thing i actually really like to do customize my operating system just disappear and i remember when i got my first aluminum iMac and that was just terrible because (laughs) i i was so excited i'm like i'm gonna have a new computer. I'm gonna have a modern iMac instead of like the little crap Macintosh that I had. And I was like, I'm gonna, this is gonna be crazy. And then nothing worked, right? I couldn't adjust any of the icons. I couldn't adjust the themes. And then it just sat there. So like for the entirety of my first week with my (laughs) new iMac, I was just sitting there and realizing that I actually did nothing on the computer. Like I was like, I was I thought I'm like, oh, I'm a big computer guy. I'm a computer guy. And then when I couldn't mess with my operating system, suddenly I realized like, oh wait, actually I do absolutely nothing on these things <laughs> except obsess over making crazy interfaces. So I just sat there staring at it. Um and yeah, then like I said before, that's when the the flash thing happens. So I found web design and I'm like, wait, I can still do stuff here. Yeah, some of the first websites I made with that as well, it was more like an illustration than anything else. Like, I would have, a, like, a, a fan. That was the menu, like, open as a fan. Yeah, yeah like, um, my favorite site that I made actually had this little guy on it, which is, like, my my super old little Mac computer. Apple chip, his name is. Um, and it was exactly this. It was a wooden a wooden frame. And... This thing was sitting on there. There were just items sitting on there. And the website scrolled horizontally, which made no sense. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so much fun. Um, skeuomorphism was great as well. And just all that's gone. Everything's a template now. Everything has the same rounded corners. And the way that you really know that it's over is my friend, John Rickwell he's a he's a designer i think he did uh, he did one of the first editions of product hunt for example so yeah. he's been doing like he's an amazing like interface designer as in like simple easy standardized interfaces that just look like you want to lick them right he's been doing that for so long and he recently started sharing on his twitter he's like guess what year i made this and his stuff is very standardized because it's like supposed to be very like simple, right? But I could still see it. You could see the 2015 standard button, standard (laughs) standard bars, standard gradients, standard this, and then today's, which, I mean, yeah, it looks more modern, but it's the same thing. It's just like people are moving at such a slow rate. Like it, it's so boring. Like the fact that he can do a Twitter poll where he makes people guess whether his design is from nine years ago or today is the saddest thing ever. Like, it
0: makes no sense. Yeah, you know, and getting back to your theming story a little bit, right? It's actually pretty fun because I was never a creator of themes, but I was a heavy consumer of it. You know, we had a family shared computer. And so every day I'd be your theme, my parents would be like, what, is, I can't read the text. anymore." I'm like, it's it's a the matrix theme. It's like, you know, it's supposed to move around like that. And, you know, I always wondered why the theming, you know, I, I, I used Windows for a long time now, of course, I'm on, I'm on a Mac for the past 10 years, but with Windows, at least, I found even after Microsoft unofficially stopped supporting theming, I don't know how deep in the weeds you want to get into this, but I remember you could like always hack uxtheme.dll and then start installing themes anyway and make these things work. And I think like probably with like Windows 8 or something, they, they closed that loophole off as well, at which point you had no choice you had to basically go with the default look and then maybe change the colors of your you know things there. but the default colors were terrible also so i never liked those colors and then i was like okay i'm just gonna give up on it as well so yeah it's a there's just something in the water or in the air at that time for all of us who got, i got started with computers around the same age as you and i think there's just something there that made us all kind of gravitate towards similar things and in many ways also, i think end up in similar spaces as well, we we're trying similar things, you know, web design and dabbling with animation and, and so on. So that's actually really interesting to hear in terms of it. But why do you think the web design that you see is so commonplace and not unique anymore? Like, do you think it's just like a, people don't want to see creative things? Is it because it's difficult to build creative things? Or what is your take on it?
1: That's just the obsession with, with ease of use. Like what you said, you installed a matrix theme and it's awesome because obviously, obviously, it's awesome. Um, but yeah, it's just ease of use and it's, um, it's just what happens when, when corporations get bigger and they, and they start to, I mean, honestly, it's all, it's all Apple's fault. Obviously it's all Apple's fault. Um, I think before, especially before the iPhone, the general consensus was more like design is a funny thing that you add later. Like it doesn't really matter. Right. Um, Yeah, it was just an afterthought. Like, yeah, it could be nice, whatever, but like, if you just put up like a shiny aqua orb on something, like, I don't know if you've seen some of the like Windows XP boot screens and um, like older versions of Windows and the weirdest stuff that they ship within Plus, like, it was all just crazy. Um, So that was. That was fine, like it didn't matter for you to have like a consistent styling or branding. It didn't give you an edge. And just at some point, it just became like less about Mac versus Windows, right? It just became um, like, I want to I want to differentiate because now both our platforms can basically do everything, right? Like now basically everyone's just using it to get on the internet. So it doesn't even matter anymore. Um, And also the fact that the iphone came out and people started really focusing on phones i've been saying this a lot i think for the past 14 years operating systems have just completely stood still like the fact that google came out with google docs where people could like live edit documentation or documents at the same time that should actually never have happened like microsoft the big boss at that point with microsoft office should have clearly been building these type of like live user interactions into their operating system from 2011. And they just never did because everyone stopped caring about desktops. Um, So yeah, desktops just stagnated with innovation. And then it was like, okay, so now we have to differentiate somehow that isn't features because we've just lost all our developers. All our developers are now working on Android and iOS. Um, So we're just here now, I guess, what, what do we do? And one guy's like, well, we could make it like, really tight styling you know like a consistent styling thing and then that just became a thing also the success of the iphone obviously made everyone realize that there really is something to having consistent themes and styling etc but i think before the iphone it was very difficult especially when dealing with technology to convince anyone in that market that you should have good consistent design because it didn't matter like you could get an MP3 player that looked like a little soda pop. Like after the the G3 IMAX came out, everything became translucent and trashy, and you could get like one dollar one dollar MP3 players that came with candy, and like everything just looked crazy and insane because that was all they cared about. Like it was just like what screams the loudest, what is the craziest marketing? Because honestly, if you think about, for example, the IMAX G3, I. Is that really good design? <laughs> like, it's crazy, right? This lamp's orange, and it's weirdly shaped, right? But did it have to be transparent plastic so I can see the electronics inside whirring? I don't think that's actually good design. <laughs> like, This is a good-looking lamp. The iMac G3 has a nostalgia factor, and it's a crazy thing because this is the thing that it replaced, right? But honestly, it's just not that good a design. Like, it started good design started really with with the iPhone, making everything extremely minimalistic and simple. Except, of course, the software, because you know that was fun. <laughs> we could have skeuomorphic insanity for a couple of years, which I really liked. And yeah, then that died too, right? Yeah.
0: It's always interesting seeing how design trends evolve and devolve and things like that. You know, a common question I have with my design team oftentimes is, you know, you take let's say cars are a great example of like, you know, designs that are classic and not classic and things like that. If you take a car that was built in the last couple of years that you think is a very great design, you had a time machine, you went back to let's say the 80s and you introduced that car to that audience, would it have resonated with them as like a really cutting edge thing? I would have been like, what in the world is this? This is horrible. Get it out as quickly as possible.
1: I've been suffering through this for the past year. I'm refusing to buy a car because my brain just refuses to drive like, okay, the Tesla, yeah, cool. It looks like I'm on a Star Trek episode from the eighties. Like, it's great. It's spaceship, you know? But just look at the street. All these cars just look like the same little plump, weird dinguses and If you just look at, like, a Giulietta Spider from the 1960s, I think, 50s, like, classic Italian convertible car, that's what I want. Like, just with an electric engine, obviously, like, but you can't get it. Like, I'm looking at these, like, shitty old cars. I really want them. I want, like, I want uh, even the 2000s, like, you had, like, a a terrible, terrible Mazda Miata because I played Need for Speed Underground 2 way too many times. So I want that. (laughs) But but there's all these cars and they're gorgeous. And like my neighborhood, especially, it's really funny with this, actually, because like for some reason, I think it's also because there's just a lot of expats living here. But that Mazda Miata, there are like five of them in this neighborhood. Uh, that one, like Porsche nine eleven, there are five of them, and it's like not a new one; it's the one from the eighties. Because nobody wants, right? Like they don't want. There's one Mazda Miata here outside. That's like there's a young guy who's driving it. He's he looks like he's on TikTok. He looks insane. So I'm like, why why are you driving this thing? And he's because it's the 1992 one that goes this with the headlights. Like that's right. Yeah, and it. He's like because it's fun. It looks crazy. Like yeah, because nothing everything standardized it drives me mad i would love to have some sort of um yeah i'm sure there's like are there like convert this to electric or something
0: yeah there are custom body shops that will you know you give them an old vehicle they maintain the exterior or the interior if you care about it but then everything else is upgraded modernized and meeting all the latest safety standards and things like that because you know as much as i love some of these old cars I like the safety of some of the new ones as well because yeah. it's like yeah the crumple zones weren't really under, understood science back in the day it's like yeah you get in a car just add more metal to it you're gonna be fine and it turned out like you know plastic and carbon fiber may actually be a better thing than like metal and like keeping it safe mm. but there are places you can do that but i, I looked at this a, a few times as well because i'm same thing i'm like cars today they don't look nice cars back then look really nice but i, I love the technology though on the cars today like i love like being able to like have car play or, you know, just like be yeah, able to have like exactly. time, music and all that stuff. Is there a world where we can make this happen? It is. It's going to pay extra for it and a lot extra for it, depending a on- A lot extra. Exactly. Depending on where you want to, where you want to go and how, what vehicles you want to convert. But yeah, I mean, for the right price, everything's doable as it turns out.
1: Yeah. I mean, that price should show us how much, how unique it is at this point. Like if you just want a 1992 Miata, like this guy does, like- He told me it's hard to even get replacement parts so he's just paying an insane amount of money to drive that silly little car because he loves it and i respect
0: that i respect the man in the mazda miata (laughs) and i know one of the things you mentioned in you know on your website as part of like what you've done is that you enjoy working primarily by yourself or in very very small teams and so tell me more about that like most people don't come to that conclusion on their own automatically. So there must have been mm-hmm. definitely some experiences you've had where you're like, I think I'm going to do this by myself because. No solopreneur, no solopreneur, even though we, we want to pretend
1: as much as we can that we're like living the dream life, you know, none of us chose this. We just obviously did not fit into a single office and uh, were fired a hundred kajillion times. So. I w- I was too annoying to be in an office from when I was uh well when I was an intern, I was too much. It was crazy. Like I was involved with like I was talking about this just a few days ago with one of my one of my coworkers from back my first internship. It's like it was so weird. Like the CEO, like I was like talking with him and stuff all the time, like in, in the middle of a meeting, and he's like, Yeah, that was really weird that you did that. Why would you why, why did you do that? <laughs> and like yeah now that i think of it actually it was weird that people were talking about me so much because i was an intern he's like yeah but you were fucking everywhere <laughs> like <laughs> uh, yeah So just there's something wrong it's like and it's mostly the fact that i i just want to get stuff done you know and you have to respect office politics like you have to respect the process you have to respect that everyone has an opinion and that from like interaction between people, like you get a better design sometimes, right? Like it gets better. It gets to the point where if you just in a review process, it goes to nowhere. But yeah, like I did not have the patience to constantly sit there and just be frustrated because especially with digital things, it doesn't matter. Like it's not the Miata that's been here for twenty two years standing outside that you can't get to change. God, I have to disable these bubbles.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, They're I gone.
1: <laughs> no, now I can do this and it won't bubble anymore. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, it's not like the Miata that's like, oh yeah, you make it once and it has to be great for the next twenty four years so that a TikToker like uses it. It's yeah, you know, it's digital stuff. Like just ship it and get it over with. If you don't like it, then change it. And and that whole way of thinking doesn't work. So yeah, that's, that's really frustration. I don't know yeah. a single solopreneur that, uh, that chose to be one. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, I agree with you. You know, it's always a question of, oftentimes the more large the organization or more complicated the team structure, the more difficult it is to get consensus and get things done and design, often even technology sometimes, it's not really a consensus driven environment. You know, you need to make a bet, ship it quickly, see what people say, and like you mentioned, it's always easy to change things very quickly. And yeah, it's a it hasn't gotten any better in large organizations yeah. since then. You know, I I, I love working in large organizations. I know it's gonna sound really weird, but it's a balanced solopreneurship life with my blogging, book writing, video recording, and things like that. But then I also have like a you know I like to call it a respectable day job where I work in large companies doing very similar things, but in you know working with building consensus and things like that. Definitely pros and cons to it, but I agree though. In your view, what is the ideal makeup of a design team? The ideal makeup of a design team is one person. Yeah. I had a hunch you were going to say that, but yeah, that's one or two. I mean, that's
1: a very old, very old quote. It's like a 1950s quote. I think it's design is not a democracy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, design by committee never works, right? And, but yeah, the thing is you have to just, you have to find the one person that can really do that that can do a good job that you can trust right but design is frustrating um i think the best teams in design operate very much like you see in like a french style kitchen yes chef right you just really really work your ass off and it has to be a chef that is actually really inspiring and knows all their stuff knows what's important and knows how to get the best result and the best product but that mindset. Like if I if I could work under like Gordon Ramsay, but it's a designer, right? It's like, yeah, I will suffer and struggle in your kitchen for the next three years, and then I'll go and open my own kitchen at some point. And I think that's the best mindset for this. Which is also why it doesn't work, because design teams have to keep growing because companies get bigger. And that's where the analogy fails.
0: Yep. No, that is a um... Very valid point there. You know, we mentioned that the the primary designer, someone who's inspirational, someone that the team can look up to and be, you know, excited to work around. What quality do they need to have? Is it success in the market or is it going to be mostly just um, a level of, I guess, what is the right word I'm looking for? Credibility with the team. Um,
1: I don't really, I think, I think like taking the analogy of the, uh, of the chef again, it's like, you're trying to get stuff done. You're trying to get it as quickly as possible. And you're very angry customers. who are sitting right outside, right? You don't want a hair in your food. So the restaurant analogy, analogy works so well for this because it's like, the reason that they are head down is because the customers are so close. Like if you mess up, it's right there. Like they can just come in. If You really mess up. Right? Like maybe they'll drag you out there. So that's why that works better. It's more like you you know that any moment you can get a customer just go, like, this is terrible. It's also a small process, right? It's like you make a dish, it's a small process. It's more about consistency and constantly delivering the same high quality dish over and over and over again. I feel guilty when I order the same thing twice. <laughs> Cause like someone in there just put away the boxes, you know, for, for making that thing. Um, but yeah, it's the best type of person for this is somebody who knows how, how to hunt after and have fun with their team. Like they know the quality, right? They know you have to really deliver, but they also know that everyone's going to screw up and that that's fine and it is fun and that everyone just, you know, and you can just, but you have to call it out. And that's the stuff that doesn't work with large organizations, and especially like office things. Like you can't keep up in such a sterile environment where everyone's sitting in, you know, in the desk, and you, know, you have these meetings, et cetera. It doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work like in a kitchen where you can just go, oh, come on, dude. I know you screwed up, better luck next time. You know, like, come on, keep going. The teasing, the whatever, it's all about how you interact with the people around you. And that's it. It's how do you motivate and stimulate people while being able to remain harsh without them growing bitter at you over time. That's the hard part. I think that what makes a really good head designer.
0: Very true. You know, how do you balance in some ways of letting someone fail because that's the best way they're gonna learn versus jumping in and just doing it for them as well. And I think that greatly varies between large organizations where the default answer is no one should make mistakes because recovering from it is extremely costly versus smaller, more nimble organizations where that's how you learn. You're gonna make mistakes, we'll undo it, we'll quickly wrap itself around it. And yeah, that's a tension that I see across, you know, I'm a product manager by, by trade. And I see very similar things in that environment as well, where consensus often doesn't work. And oftentimes the best way to learn is to make mistakes because that sticks with you. And you learn exactly the, kind of like the dark side of the moon, you kind of know exactly, you know, you, if you only focus on the things you know all the time, you'll never get to de- explore the, the boundaries of what you're, what you're lacking in knowledge or skills that you can then figure out and failing is the best way to do that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is such a difficult thing to translate in put in, in practice actually in any organization.
1: I think we can see it in in, we can naturally see how, how capitalism has fixed this basically, right? How hard a market has forced this. The reason that there are so many agencies is because you just can't maintain consistency over a long amount of time while working on the same thing. So you swap in new, new things, right? Um, It's hard to think outside the box if you're in the box, obviously. So, Well, consultants generally are the most horrendous people to put on like a big ass product, right? Because you can't get a really good grasp and you don't have to stick around to actually see it implemented and see it through for design. You can see it through. It's not a big project, right? You're redesigning something. It's not a big project. It's a one-off thing that has a purpose and design obviously is a solution, right? So there's a problem. Here's a solution project finished.
0: Speaking of redesigns, I noticed that you redesigned The Next Web, which is like a massive oh, yeah. website with like, you know, at this point, millions of pages, many generated by, you know, lots of writers and things like that. How would that process go? Because that seemed like, you know, having done web designs for smaller projects and redesigns for smaller, you know, activities, that just seems like full of stories. It was it was completely crazy. It was my first job ever, actually. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, <laughs> I, I, I barely know how to, how to describe that. It's so long ago. I think it's 22 years ago. No, 12 years ago now. I mean, I'm not that old. That's uh, 12 years ago. But this is super long time ago. Yeah. Um, how did that go? I had no idea what I was doing. What happened was the Next Web wrote an article, or somebody for the Next Web wrote an article, and the article said stop looking for unicorn designers. Like stop looking for somebody who can do code and design and do your prints, you know, and tell you what good typography is and stop looking for them. You're not gonna find them. Like you as a business need to learn to respect that these are separate jobs and that it's not easy. Like you need to hire multiple people and it's gonna like, it's hard. Stop looking for unicorn designers. And I was like 21 or something. And I just went under it I was like, what does this mean? Like, I'm a unicorn designer then? Because that's everything I was doing, you know? I mean, might just be crazy hyper-focus or <laughs> just like interests that are scattered all over the place. But I commented on that with like, so wait, I'm a, I'm a unicorn designer then? And then the CEO commented like, well, I guess you are. Um, here's my number. <laughs> like, <laughs> And I was hired a week later. <laughs>
0: and just got started yeah yeah it was really crazy that's really impressive when you think of unicorn designers do you think there's value in us in you know let's let's take the head chef example you know from your previous moments do you think there's value in a single person knowing design coding typography accessibility, layout, typography, all these various things? Or is it okay for someone to not be, you know, well-rounded in all those areas and still be effective as a design leader?
1: Mm. In the future, in the age of AI, the idea guys will rule us all. (laughs) But right now, um, if your head chef does not know how to cook an egg, yeah. Like there's Gordon Ramsay actually uses this. He he says that he makes people make a scrambled egg to see their control uh, and to see how they care about something so simple and how they can make it good. Yeah, like you need to do it. Like I often I once actually did an interview and I didn't get the job because the I got approached. This was for this was for Crypto Kitties. Before the NFT boom, we didn't even know what NFTs were. This was for CryptoKitties, um, and uh, I was for. They approached me because I could do design and code at the same time, and they didn't have anyone on the team like that. So they first had me interview with their designer, and their designer said, "Like, wait, you know how to code?" I'm like, yeah. It's like, "I don't think designers should know how to code." All my friends who learned how to code um, now don't have jobs from design school, like all her compatriots from design school. And I was like, really? But they know how to code, so like, what happened? She's like, yeah, they all learned Flash. I was like, well, (laughs) that's not really why they don't have jobs now. (laughs) Like, it's more the Flash thing, right? Um, But she was really staunch on this, or like really strict. She was like, no, sorry, like I don't, I don't think you should work under me because like you can code I was like fine okay well what did you want me to do anyway um, And then she gave me an example she's like fine so we got to make a kitty right We got to make an endless amount of kitties How would you do that And like like I just said like my whole beginning is vector shapes and and, yeah. and path drawing so I'm like, oh, do, do, do. like you make a standardized set of attributes with SVGs change the fill and the color, and then you use each unique hash, you're saying, to generate like a guaranteed unique cat, and then draw it in with these little shapes. And she just looked at her colleague and they looked at her, and they just went like, that took us three months to figure out, and you just set that in 10 seconds? I'm like, yeah, I guess. But they wouldn't hire me because of this. They were like, no, you can't so she had me interview with the person who was in charge of code. He gave me a coding test. He put a, uh, he put a global state variable outside of a React component. And he said, should I do this? And I said, no. He's like, why not? I said, I don't know, but don't. And he's like, failed that test. You should be able to explain why I shouldn't be doing this. Not hired as a designer, not hired as a coder. And they continued having the same problem. They didn't even realize that they that they'd approached me. Like afterwards I got an email or something that said, Good luck finding a job. I'm like, I have a job. What are you talking about? <laughs> like it was so weird. I'm like, Yeah, I can see why you guys need someone who can do both
0: things, <laughs> because you can't even interview for it right now. When, yeah. when you describe the idea of like how do you generate pretty much an infinite number of shapes and make them be unique, do you remember you know, this is going back in like deep into the history at this point. Do you remember a website called levitated dot net mm-hmm. by Jared Tarbell? He created mathematical examples of like you know, creative, what we call creative coding today. Essentially he wrote code that drew all kinds of things. You know, what we processing today was done in I think it was Flash back then. Here was this great article on how to create basically the the space invader style robots. Because it's basically it's a pattern. You start with the middle and then you just have like an eight by eight grid and you put all these things in there. And I remember he said like if you do it correctly, you can get two to the power of some ridiculous number. Of shapes, like the billions of shapes you can generate randomly. I I wasn't sure if you remember reading those things or if you remember that. No, I'm not aware. This is like 2007 or 2006. Sounds really cool, though. Yeah, I probably dig it up at some point. Yeah, send it over. I'd love to see it. Yeah, but the, the the interesting thing about designers and coding, you know, in many ways, though, right? It seemed like that organization and that team culture. Would not have been a good fit for you, so I think you probably dodged a bullet. Oh yeah, not. that's I immediately, immediately knew that. that. <laughs> like, I was like, "This is this is great." <laughs> so one of the things that I've often seen companies do is they have a primary designer who does, you know, like they oversees the work that's being done, and they delegate to agencies for a lot of the work because at that point they don't really need to know how things are done. It's like, yeah, the agency will deal with however they deal with things, but we care about the output primarily. And that, in some ways, may kind of balance out the difficulties of having unfiltered feedback that you can share in, let's say, in a larger organization. Do you see that model scaling in the future? Do you think that also has a a limited shelf life?
1: Mm, Everything has a limited shelf life. As soon as people find ways around the rules, it always breaks down, right? Systems, rules, destruction, then reshaping. It's always the same thing. So if this currently works, then it currently works. And I'm sure that in three years, we can buy a wonderful webinar or online course for our entire team to enjoy training in this as it becomes standardized. And then somebody will have all the books about the subject and then it'll disappear. (laughs) (laughs) And then we'll
0: go back to whatever worked in 1970 and then 1980. Kind of like the car. Retrofitting something that worked in the 1980s with whatever the modern format of it needs to be. So it works hey. on all the things that we need to work on. Yeah. So you mentioned AI earlier, you know, and, you know, I'm, I'm glad it took us like almost over 40 minutes to get to the AI topic by the way. <laughs> in the first couple of minutes. It is one of those things where in the past, when we see technology getting better, it's like, okay, great, I can now offload some of the tasks that I wasted my time on, so I can spend more time doing the things I actually care about. Whereas with AI, you know, this is something I I feel personally, and I've seen others mentioning it as well, it doesn't even have an end to where it's going to stop at getting rid of like things that I'm doing that is not worth my time. It's It's dangerously getting close to doing the things that I actually get paid to do. And, mm-hmm. and it's a pretty good job in some cases as well. And you mentioned that, you know, in the future, the person doesn't need to know the actual art of how to make an egg, for example. It could just be that you mention make an egg, and then the best egg trained on the greatest egg chefs from around the world will be translated into this robotic device that then makes it for you. Mm-hmm. How do you see that changing your career, your day-to-day job, as part of just what you do?
1: Not at all. Like, it's, it's the same as the conversation we had before, where you mentioned that everything seems to become standardized, right? I don't know if it was Pitchfork, or there was some audio or, or music website that, that, did a, that did a study or analysis of um, how, how different music is, and how it's become more homogenized over the decades. Because that's a great example, right? like there's a lot of music and it's very consistent and yeah it it gets more homogenized over the decades we there are certain sounds that we like more and more it'll be very rare for you to get a bohemian rhapsody today like the thing is someone's still making bohemian rhapsody there's someone out there doing doing the lord's work in music we'll just never know because they don't have enough spotify subscribers and Universal pulled their music license for TikTok so they can't get on there anymore. (laughs) But uh, things trending more towards a standardization um, just allows you to not have to pay people for that as a job, right? It doesn't diminish the value of somebody's ideas. And if something is standardized and homogenized to the point where it can be done by AI, with, you know, then then obviously that thing should have been automated in the first place.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it's difficult because so much of this conditioning, you know, over a period of time, because I think we had the luxury of growing up when there was deviant art and there was Newgrounds, there was MySpace, where you had, where you kind of knew that things don't have to be this way. There is a place where you can have an outlet and do things very differently. Yet when I talk to the current generation of people who are entering the design industry or the tech industry, they have no concept of it. The entire world is skewed by what is shown by Facebook, Instagram, you know, Twitter, X, and all these various services. And they have a certain style of how what kind of content gets promoted, what kind of things you see, like you know, Spotify, for example, right? So if you wanted to even be like, you know what, I don't want this same kind of like commoditized. You know you know information or music or video but i want to see something unique where do you even go these days like it used to be vimeo used to be a thing back then but even now it's like you know youtube of course is like the most dominant player in all this video sharing kind of content i do kind of question when every minute every moment of our lives pretty much is we're marketed to by you know, these services and it's in their best interest to keep us in those bubbles you know could deviant art you know DeviantArt still is successful today but definitely a fraction of what it was let's say you know 10 15 years ago because Dribbble took over a large part of it. The community building part of it went to Facebook. I wanted to share something cool with people, went to Twitter. And all these networks are in many ways incentivized to keep people from going to a deviant art. You know, share a link to another website, for example, on almost any network, the algorithm supposedly de-boosts you so people won't really see it. And so his goal is to keep it all in there in the kind of the you know, no more the cool Windows XP or Windows 98 theme, but more like the traditional Mac OS theme where it's like, yeah, it's going to look exactly like this and your content's going to be a small part of the overall experience. I wonder how much of that is just shaping how people think about technology and design where five, 10 years from now, it's inevitable that we'll all just be replaced by AI because no one knows how to think beyond the boundaries what the AI does.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you're talking a lot about how the input right? The input of this system, like we're looking at it as a system, the input of the system is like, um, we want the creativity. We want, um, no way input of the system is they want to market things to us. They, as in like media companies, et cetera, they want to take our time. The, but obviously the, the mindset here has never changed, right? It's just that it was harder to do in the eighties. Like It's harder to like take every single grain of your time unless you have the television, right? you have the television, then you're in control. So the input, the way of thinking hasn't really changed. Like the underlying why we're doing it hasn't changed, right? It's just like, we need money. I will entertain you, you will watch things, I will advertise stuff and I will, you will give me money or they will give me money by advertising to you. So that part hasn't changed. It's the output part that is indeed concerning. Right. It's like, how much time in a day do you have to squish new things in? And I, I, before AI, I was actually, before machine learning, I should say, I was actually thinking that we are in a bubble because like the amount of money that was getting pumped into television shows and everyone's trying to be the new Netflix and stuff, I was just like, this is so hyper oversaturated, literally nobody can possibly make money from this. Like even a company as Disney has to at some point just like crash and burn because nobody's watching it because it's so oversaturated, it's insane. Um, That part, I was like, it's gonna crash and burn. But now with AI or machine learning, we won't have to do that anymore. We can just generate infinite. Like I'm really excited for when I can watch uh, season eight of Star Trek, The Next Generation. To all the original actors straight from the nineties, I'm sorry, uh, Fran Drescher, head of the <laughs> actors union or something, don't, don't sue me. I promise I'll keep it to myself, but like I would like to see that. Um, that'd be really exciting. But again, it's a rehash, right? And it's like, will, will people's sense of authenticity be tweaked, right? That's what you're saying. That's really the issue here. It's like that's people right. people yep. no longer know what good taste is. Yes. And, and my answer to that is that 99% of people already don't have good taste. <laughs> <laughs> and that they don't buy anything that's good. And that I, I ordered McDonald's yesterday. So what does it say about me and my Gordon
0: Ramsay speech? McDonald's douche. is great. you know, McDonald's <laughs> is fantastic, you know. Uh, standardized perfection. Standardized yeah. perfection, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, 99% like you said, you know, probably don't have good taste. That 1%, I do struggle to see how will that 1% get noticed enough to the point where they can hopefully influence the other 99%. Yeah,
1: this is, this is the issue. This is just the depression this is true. This is the real issue. I don't think they can because it's a market. Like the fact that I want this lamp doesn't mean anyone else wants this lamp. They'll just go to Ikea. Um, it all comes down to human psychology to a degree where I recently bought a a Lego set. I bought the, like a Japanese castle Lego set for adults. I was Mm. like, I need a break. I'm getting burnt out. I need to do something else. Somebody said Lego, uh, Danny Postma. He, he plays with the Lego bricks. He, Danny plays with Legos. I was like, I want Legos too. Um, so I got these. It's supposed to be for adults. So it has the tiniest, stupidest parts for no reason. There's like five different things to put on. But all this is, of course, to get the, I mean, I could call it the IKEA factor, right? Like I've made this. So. I feel like it's good taste. I had the very sad experience of the fact that I've become too good at hand-eye coordination. I, I made it like this. And I never took my eyes off the instructions. Yep. So every, every 10 minutes, I just looked up and something had appeared in my hand. So my brain didn't do the thing. It didn't make me feel like you made this. So now I have this little Japanese Lego castle sitting somewhere next to my bed. And I'm just like, I look at it and like, terrible taste. The thing looks horrendous. The only reason you would think that that looks good in your house is because you think you made it. Like, it's obviously bad. Like and I can see that now. And I'm like, I need to tear the thing apart and do it again, and then I'll be like, I make this and then I'll like it. But it won't happen. Like there's no
0: ask for good taste. There's no market for it. Yep. Yeah, no, and you know, the funny thing about Legos is that I don't know but if you've seen it, but Lego also makes these like almost these flower bouquets you can make. Oh yeah, know? I saw those. And so, you know, I bought one. I'm like, you know what? This makes absolutely no. cause I grew up on like Lego Technic and like things. I, I lived in Germany, you know, early in my, you know, I was young. So uh, I grew up on Lego Technic and like all the Legos that you don't do like that kind of things. And like, you know, no specialized design. Like, I was, like Lego was like general purpose used for anything. Whereas this one was like, I can only use 90% of these pieces for making a bouquet. I can't use this on anything else. So actually I bought one and I actually built it. It is exempt for adults extremely complicated, extremely tricky, same piece, like, you know, with like maybe a few millimeters of difference. And at the end, it does not look like a bouquet at all. I mean, of course, it's not going to look like a bouquet. Like, how can you take arbitrary shapes, you know, not even like pixel size, but like, you know, multiple pixel sizes of things and then have it look like, you know, something that's very organic, which is like a, a flower. And yeah, similar effect. I liked it because I invested time in it. it's almost like the eye of Sauron from like Lord of the Rings. You know, it's like, okay, Mm. it's focusing on an area longer than like 10 seconds, which is the average time that people spend these days, focusing on any one activity. So I'm like, okay, therefore it has more value in my mind at that moment because it's been an hour or two in building a whole thing into end. But that was essentially it. Like that was the satisfaction I got, not that it solved a problem or actually was met the goal of being a beautiful bouquet. It just meant that I did something without being interrupted for the entire period of time. Yeah. Yeah, but that's really so what it felt like. Yeah. But you know, now we'll quickly talk, you know, about your app that is, you know, just a whole lot of fun in its own way. Like, it exudes personality. And the more I talk to you and I'm like, I can totally see why the you know the horse browser, the way it's presented, the website, the style of it matches, you know, pretty much you in its own way. But tell me about that. Like what, you know, the browser market is a it's a tough market. And so what got you to decide to create another browser? Well, the branding first.
1: Like I I always the branding is a result of me being a design consultant or freelancer, right? For like fifteen years. And every time somebody's like, What should I name my thing? I would always just tell them, like, what what's standing on the table on your right? And they'd be like, uh my cornflakes? I'm like, There you go, your brand is cornflakes. They'd be like, "What?" And then I could start the knowledge part of the speech, right? Which is, Airbnb's logo is a great example of this. When that when they redesigned that, the little loop, mm-hmm. right? The the furor, the anger over that, right? It means nothing. It looks like this. It looks like you know, lady parts. Uh, it looks like a hammer it's a pig and it's like no it's nothing that's the point point. and now 10 years later if i walk outside somebody drew that logo on the side of a building and i know airbnb yep. that's why it's good it has no meaning you give things meaning that's why everyone's first logo is always just like their name and then like some word cross-section use the same letter here it's like people try to make things that have meaning right when they start a brand they want to have something relatable and that just never works like it, it doesn't work you give it meaning um so that's horse is like my biggest <laughs> my biggest issue with this it's like me just taking revenge or like letting frustration of 50 years come out i was i was watching it was after queen elizabeth ii had died and there was a documentary on the television about Princess Anne and that she liked horses. And I had to name the folder for the repo. <laughs> and I just, I was like, screw it. Yep. Yeah, horse. Done. Here we go. This is the brand. We're now called Horse. It makes no sense, but that's the purpose. Eventually, if things go well, it will have a meeting, hopefully.
0: But right now,
1: you no. Know.
0: I mean, you committed to it, though. It's not just a nameless horse. On the website, there are, like, all these 3D-generated horses that are, like, animated and moving out. So you, like, went all in.
1: Yeah, went all in. Like, the horse is great. I, I, I had no feelings about horses whatsoever before this, but now I kind of want to own a ranch. So it's like it shows you how easily manipulable we are by total randomness. Like, if I end up as a cowboy somewhere owning a ranch, then... This will be even more epic like for me. It'll just be like, ha-ha, I, I like things that I like for no reason at all now. Consistency in storytelling about yourself as a personality or a person much over time? Like, nope. Um, oh, I love the randomness of it. But yeah, no, the whole reason for, for Horace was actually was really, really simple. It's like, again, standard design thinking. I had a meeting with somebody who said, um, that he was making a, a browser extension and it was uh it was kind of a, a database uh, command palette thing and i was like okay like and he's like i need help with the marketing and how i'm gonna call it and stuff so i talked with him for two hours and at the end the conclusion was that his marketing line was stop trying to reinvent tabs they're fine the way they are um you know but professionals need something better. And he was really happy. He was like, thank you for thinking this through with me. He got up, started to walk, and I just went, But well, you know, I don't agree with anything of that, right? <laughs> and he just went, what do you mean? I'm like, if there is a problem, right, it just means that somebody hasn't done anything to solve it. He's like, you know what, he's trying to solve this. I'm like, well, then it's a deeper psychological issue or a technological one it means that somebody either didn't have the balls or thinks it's impossible because you know you can't perfectly do it and i always use the elon musk's hyperloop idea for this the most because it's like you know now we have maglev trains right they don't make contact with the rails so they're very fast but there's still something rubbing on them it's air and then between 1980 and 2015 or something, right? No engineer said, you know what? We could make a tube and take some of the air out. Because every other engineer next to that engineer then said, that would not work. Such a long tube, man. We could never get a perfect vacuum. And the other one went, yeah, you're right. Never mind. Screw it. Even though you can speed up the frickin' train by 80%, right? This is why engineers have problems. Like they think too perfectly. They think too logically. Like this is like the only thing, the only idea this man had is that he let go of perfection for 5 seconds and found something incredibly useful. <laughs> like and that's that's what I did with 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 horse trails. I was like, why doesn't it work? Well, because there's some underlying reason or issue that like is probably just in the way. Like throwing your microphone off your table, so um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I thought about it for ten minutes, and I I figured out what the problem was. And I I'm horrible at communicating, uh, like interactions. Like I really suck. I don't have the patience to draw. In, I don't use Figma or any design tools anymore. Like I've stopped. The last thing I use is Photoshop CS2 in like 2008, and then I just stopped. Like I have, I have a copy of Sketch because I love Sketch. So um, and I, people send me Figma links, and I use it. Um, I do like Fig Jam. I made a big mind map with that once, so that was really cool. I like that product a lot. Um, but yeah, I don't really use any of this stuff. And that's a big issue I have. Like the reason I became the way I am as a consultant first and like as a freelancer and doing what I am now is purely, like I said before, with the nobody's a solopreneur by choice. I am not fast at building apps by choice. It's because I don't know how to explain what's in my head. Like I just can't. And people just said, okay, well let's have a meeting about it in three days. And lo and behold, I have now been over-optimized for creating entire applications in three days because I can't explain my thinking. And it will take me just as long to make a PowerPoint presentation as it would to actually code like a very silly demo. Um, so that's, that's what happened. I just coded with iframes. I just made it like as a little page versus like, here's iframes, here's the thing and how that works. And I showed my solution of, of trails. I showed. Because trails again, that's why the the hyperloop thing works here very well. Because it's like trails are not a perfect solution. Like every every like conceptual design I see of how web uh, journeys and 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 uh, history and everything should be tracked is like perfect. It's super detailed. Um, I'm even seeing now things again. Here we go again. AI. I'm seeing things built with AI that will do that for you. And I'm just like, this is too much. Like, it's way too much. It's crazy. Like, it's very simple. If I clicked on a link to page B, on page A, that's it. Then I know why I'm on page B, because I was on page A. Ta-da! I don't need a giant timeline. I don't need AI to tell me how I got here. I don't need graphs. Like, I saw people making, like, mind map graphs that automatically tell you how your brain expanded while you were doing the... And I'm just like, it's way too much, way too much. Stop, stop. I don't need a meglev, okay? I just need to get from A to B, and I just need manual... I like manual things. I'm very boring. And I really see Horse as the the Windows 95 edition of of trails. Like they're really simple, very boring, and they work really well. And that's all I ever wanted. And most of my users are the same. They're just like I just want it to be manual and old school and I don't need any weird ass user interface or AI to do it for me. I can Right. And that's also what the main issue with the selling point was initially, because we had, um, we started to sell horses like, like you can have a thousand tabs and no problems. Well, that attracted people who have way too many tabs open. The horse does not fix that. Like, it makes it worse. If you never clean up, then like it won't help you at all, right? So we were completely marketing to the wrong people and our marketing was actually turning off. And I didn't know this. Like I spent like eight months going completely crazy until somebody like told me that. I paid someone and he told me like, you know, Pascal, you're really good at this. Like you used to be really good at this. Yeah, when you weren't the client. And now you're going crazy and you can't see it. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Here's money. Please tell me what I'm doing wrong. And he was so right. He's like, look, if you tell people this will help you if you have a thousand tabs open and your target market are people who clean up manually and don't have a thousand tabs open, then that market's going to say, I don't need your product. And that's so I was literally our entire marketing site. The first things I wrote were completely wrong. Like it was... Presenting it is marketing it to people who never clean up their stuff and who hate manual organization, who were looking for a silver bullet, which is not what it is. And at the same time, it was turning off people who wanted a simple manual solution, like I clean up my tabs. I'm the same. I never have more than four tabs open when I'm using Google Chrome. It's clean. Um, I can't concentrate if there's more stuff. So I just close stuff. My problem is that I close stuff that I still need to do because otherwise I can't concentrate. And if I make bookmarks for it and do all sorts of like fancy stuff, I'll forget them. I won't do them. So I need it constantly in my view. So that's what HORSE is. HORSE simply allows people who already neatly clean up their things to focus, to actually clean up their things. The end, very simple. And yeah, I've been using it myself
0: and. I love it. (laughs) No, that is fantastic. And so much of your marketing seems to really be on social media. You know, you talk about it, you highlight the things about it. How is that? How has it changed? You know, because I think you've seen the trends of how marketing has evolved, how people, you know, claim no glom onto products. How is that influencing how you are marketing? Oh, gosh. It's just it's been utter hell.
1: Like, first off, I have no no clue about marketing. And I, um, the past year has taught me, uh, especially, you know, designers and developers are ancient enemies that fought on the battlefields of Sparta, right? They would always clash over really important details, like how rounded do you want these corner buttons? And then the developer was like, I don't want to spend time rounding your corner buttons. So like ancient enemies. Another ancient enemy of the designer is the marketer. So as a designer myself and developer, I didn't have... first clash but i had the second one i was like marketing people do nothing right i i worked on a job in greece once um and uh the the marketer had like delivered some copy for the hero section and i i don't speak or read greek but i deleted two words in front of her and then i'm like now it fits in my design and she's like how the hell did you know exactly to remove those two words from this sentence i'm like I can read bullshit in any language.
0: I don't actually need
1: to see, right? I could just guess what the extra words were based on shape and placement alone. Um, but yeah, I have been humbled beyond all means in the past year. Like, I I know nothing of marketing. I have uh, I have shot myself in the foot more than I can ever imagine. I've seen the memes before, like. They've, our buddy Dagobert, right, is sharing memes about um, marketing and that it, it's ninety nine percent of the job and stuff. And I was like, and I pride myself in the fact that I think that I can put myself beyond biases. And like, so I will respect what he says, even though I don't know it yet. I will respect it. Like, marketing is a lot of the job. I did not respect it at all. I completely, severely underestimated it. I should have started writing about what I was doing, uh, building SEO links, learning how Google Web Console, whatever, I don't know how to named. I should have started all these things and documented everything. And uh, instead, I I just focused on making features like everyone else. I made the same mistake as everyone else while I was blind to the fact that I was doing it because I, didn't think I was doing it. It was terrible. So I know nothing of marketing, but I do know that people have strong opinions on it. That's my answer.
0: <laughs> I mean, the first step is in admitting that you don't know as much about a topic as you do. I know And that. then that's, that's like 90% of the challenge. And so I guess if history is an indicator, being the unicorn that you are, I think marketing will be one more feather. You're going to add to your cap here. Top marketer yeah well, Pascal it was great chatting with you. I think like a lot of ground here, and that was absolutely fantastic so